Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, the exact same peace that Jesus has with the Father, He has given to you. He has brought you into that type of relationship with the Father. You have the same peace as He does. Is that amazing? Do you enjoy that kind of worship? Man, I do. Been a long time? <laughs> Jim lives way up on the north side. He's been calling me for years. When y'all going to start something up here? Is it north or? It's above the Georgia. Yeah, it's out there. We need to train up a pastor and send them one out there. Amen. Any volunteers? Man, Jesus. You know, may that be our awareness that it's just him. It's just him. We're just following him. We're just walking with him. We're just letting him love us, letting his kingdom bear fruit in our lives, letting his spirit grow us into full maturity. You know, you don't lack anything but to be fully convinced that he's complete, that you're complete in him. That's it. If we lack anything, that's it. It's to get this noodle lined up with what he's already done in our spirit. No matter what's going on in the world, it doesn't matter. It don't matter. I know that's not proper, but... That's all right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that peace. Thank you for that peace. You know, it, it's, it's in that kind of worship or just, just in those moments where you open your heart. And some of you, it may be when you're sitting on a boat in a lake pulling in that bass, that's what does it for you. Or it may be walking a trail or whatever it is for you, it's, it's that moment when it's like everything's right between me and God and it doesn't matter what else is going on. And in fact, that will affect everything else around me. I'm, st I'm still seeing him. I'm trying to talk and like make sense, but it's just... <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what Jesus... What he said when he was getting ready to get out of here, he said, it's expedient, which means extremely important. The most important thing that he could do was leave. I mean, think about that, right? He's, they flip out because he died. He comes back three days later. It takes him a while to actually figure it out and believe it. He reveals himself physically for 40 days, multiple times, one time for five, with, in front of 500 people. I mean, Jesus showed up and held some meetings after his resurrection. Said, look, stick your finger here. I'll eat with you. Pass through the walls. Was in the grave for three days. So that really, they only waited for the Holy Spirit for about a week. And he said, the most important thing I can do now that I'm... Because, you know, imagine what they're thinking. They're Jews. 
they're waiting for this new covenant to be established. And what they thought was, we're taking over the world again. This is all, it's all ours again. Everybody's going to be submitted to us again. No. He said, my kingdom doesn't come with outward observation. It's in you. He is that rock that has been placed into this earth that will continue to grow. And to the, in, to the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's how he sees his kingdom. It's here in full force. But it's growing in this place through us. As we experience him, as we let his light shine, we experience it, the world around us experiences it. It's in righteousness, it's in peace, it's in joy, and it's in power, seeing his power manifest. But his power is not carnal in that it's about effort in making things change. The power of God is this, growth, fruit. You know, even a miracle is not, I'm going to make something change in you, even though if you put it under a microscope, one cell might change to another. But it's really, no, that, that cell is just responding to the life of God. That is just responding to the Spirit of God. It's like that thing says, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I heard that voice. I heard the true voice of God. That's true. I'm going to rearrange myself to align with that. So he says, the most important thing I can do, he's standing there in front of them. They're like, okay, here we go. Here comes our kingdom. He says, I'm leaving so that I can send my spirit. And I've said this before, but if you think about it, Jesus is saying it's more important for my spirit to be here than it is for me to physically be here in bodily form standing in front of you. Why? Well, I mean, probably multiple reasons. I don't know. We can make stuff up. I'll make a few things up. <laughs> if he were here, we'd be running around following Jesus, and we probably wouldn't like what he taught most of the time. I mean, that would be kind of cool. Hey, Jesus is in town. Let's go out to the stadium and go see him, you know, as if it would fit. I mean, think about it. He did that for 40 days. He was here, walking, revealing, teaching, instructing, still working miracles. But it's more important for him to leave so that his spirit can come. Why? Because his spirit would live in you. His spirit would be that life force, that life source in this earth through you. You know, some of us, that's good news. Some of us are like, man, you don't know what I did last night. I'm not sure that I'm qualified for that. Only in your mind you think you are not qualified. If the Spirit of God dwells within you. <clears throat> because sin is not those bad things that you do that used to get us killed. That's the fruit of sin. What sin is, is it starts in the heart and it's a place that is just set, up, set against God's best, set against God's way. It's at enmity. Sin is at enmity with the Spirit of God. It's like oil and water. They just don't mix. They're not necessarily enemies. The, the oil is not attacking the water, but they don't mix. When we're sin conscious or when, when we're focused on our own efforts of trying to force his, even forcing his kingdom, 
It's like admitting, well, it's not already here. God, please show up. God, please come and send us. God, God, give us more of your kingdom. Give us more of what... Well, you've got everything. I understand the language. We want to experience more of what you've given us. But I'll tell you right now, if you're asking God for more of him, you're in sin. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in Jesus. And where does Jesus dwell? In his fullness, by his spirit. Man, Father, we yield to you. We thank you that that becomes a reality in our minds and in our hearts and that we live from that. We live from a continual, unshakable faith that you have done a complete work within us. And we come into this place to be reminded of that. We come into this place to encourage each other, to lift you up and exalt you so that we can go out and represent you to this world. Thank you, Father. That's what, you know, we're on a mission to change the way the world sees God. He's better than the church has led, him, led on. Isn't he? Isn't he better than what you once thought? So last week in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, we kind of started off a new series. And we're going to be focusing on fellowship, but also the things that we think take us out of fellowship. So let me read this passage. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Galatians 4, I won't, well, I'll read it. Let me read it. We got a bunch of scripture today. Y'all ready? But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a, this is Galatians 4.4. 4. But when God has, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. Say, I'm a child of God. Because you are his son, daughter, his child, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. An heir of what? A joint heir with Jesus. What did Jesus inherit? Hebrews 1. Everything. <laughs> and a name. He was given a name above all names, and he inherited all things. You're a joint heir with him. What have you inherited? Man, those are the kinds of scriptures It's like you read those scriptures and you're like, okay, I see the information, but I'm not really sure that I believe that. You know, it's like I'm willing to believe. I think a lot of what we call faith is really just willingness. It's like, okay, I'm willing to believe that. I'm convinced because the word says it, that, that it's true, but is that really in my heart? Is that really what I believe? Is that really what motivates me? Is that really how I feel about life? That I'm a child, that I'm a joint heir with Jesus, and there's nothing that he has that he's not given to me. I mean, that's what the scripture says. 
But we think according to the world. So lots of scriptures. Let's go over to Colossians 2. I'm going to show you something that is um, good news. Amen. That's what this place is, a representation of his good news. If you come here and you think it's unbalanced because all we talk about is the positive stuff, yep, that's right. (laughs) I don't apologize for that. You know? Does does he win in the end or what? You can preach about what happens between now and then. I'm not going to. I mean, what good does it do anyway? You want to walk out of here encouraged and optimistic or fearful about what ISIS is doing? I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm just saying, really. You know, you've got lots and lots of hours during the week to be negative and pessimistic and worry about what's happening in this world that will come to an end. So while I've got you, I'm going to build you up. I'm going to get as much truth in there as I can. And we'll see what happens. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal... I'm in the NIV. Is that You're in the same one? Yeah. Have, now think about this. This is God who's made you a child, made you a joint heir, has forgiven you, has canceled the... See, because Jesus could have just died, rose again, and said, when you die, if you believe in me, you can come be with me. But until then, this, it's still hell on earth for you. Or he could have said, all right, you still have to live by the law here, but yet when you die... I've made you spiritually righteous so you can come live with me. But he, he didn't. I mean, all the way down to the deepest effects in this world, he changed. I mean, you know, think about it. He, he, he could have decided it to be any way that he wanted to. But he didn't just open the door. You know, a lot of people, that's when you hear him preach, that's kind of what you feel like. It's like, okay, Jesus died. So when I, when I die, he's opened the door for me. I can go to heaven But it's up to me in this world to live and become holy. No, he's made you holy. And it is not progressive. You experience it outwardly, progressively, but it's a done deal. Because of this, because verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. Nailing it to his cross. The legal indebtedness to God that you owed in your blood, he took away. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, notice in the NIV, at the end of Romans 1, it does not say for those who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now, some translators have taken that phrase, tacked it on the end of verse 1. It's debatable whether it should be there or shouldn't be. But even if it is there, 
he further explains what it means to be in the flesh or in the spirit. Here, he says, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Living in the flesh is not necessarily about your actions. It's about your mind. It's about the way that you think. See, for the believer, the flesh is not part of your nature any longer. It's a mindset that's lingering from living however many years you've lived in this earth. The flesh is not an aspect of your nature. You are created after God in righteousness and true holiness. That's your nature. The flesh is a lingering mindset. It's very clear. The flesh is the way that you think. Make sense? But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So we think that this has to do with whether or not we're going to hell or heaven. And because we bring everything down to that one thing of whether or not we're accepted, see, you have to approach these passages and realize, I'm accepted. The law, the legal indebtedness of the law has been removed from me. Sin has been removed. I am in that place of full acceptance before the Father because Jesus has presented me wholly because of his blood. Then you go and you read these passages. So he's not talking about whether or not you're saved or not saved. He's talking about whether you think according to whether you're saved or not saved, you know? <clears throat> and then he says, I'm going to read verse 6 again. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And that really has more to do with the fruit of your thoughts in this life than it does your eternal nature. Verse 7 the mind governed by the flesh is hostile or at enmity to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, say me, me. are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the... You don't have to say this part. <laughs> You are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. What's the qualification? If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Being in the flesh, living in the Spirit, living in the flesh, has nothing to do with your behavior toward the truth. It's, it's, it's a fruit. So based on how you think, you will be producing death in this life, or you will be experiencing life in this life. But the greater truth that you are received by the Father through the blood of Christ and His Spirit has been placed within you as a promise of eternal life is already settled. So from here it's about, okay, am I living in the flesh, in my thoughts and mind, or am I living in the Spirit in my thoughts and mind? Because it's very clear that you are in the Spirit because the Spirit of God is in you. Colossians 2, verse 13. <clears throat> when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, 
which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. Here's the other homework assignment. Read Colossians this week. There's two. Meditate on that. Ask the Spirit to give you revelation on what it means to be set free from the law of sin and death and, and read the book of Colossians. It's just a few chapters. I get emails. Oh, there's an email. There's a lady that watches online and doesn't have a church and basically calls this at her church and she and her husband are wanting to move down here and uh, she thanks me for the homework assignments. <laughs> Which is less, not anything really I ever intended. It just kind of, I feel like I get to these points and the, and the points sometimes are so full that it's like you, you just have to take it and go meditate with the Holy Spirit. Not because of something that I've got to say, but it's because the Holy Spirit just wants to help you understand and expound these things. I mean, you know, this is not about this place having the best teaching worked out. We're just going to focus on the cross and the finished work and the truth of who we are. So Hebrews 9, verse 11. <clears throat> but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. See, the picture here is Jesus was in the grave. And he remained faithful toward God and conquered death with his own faith. He believed God. All the promises that God had made in the prophetic Psalms and in the life of Jesus when he was on this planet, that when he was in the grave, he remembered what God said to him, remained faithful toward that, and his faith was stronger than death. And he came up out of the grave Remember, he passed through the garden and the two women were there and he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. This is what he was about to do when he was going to ascend to the Father. He had his own blood to go into the heavens and he couldn't be touched. Just like under the Levitical priesthood, when the priest on the Day of Atonement would make the sacrifice and carry the blood into the holy of holies, and make the proper offering, he would say, don't touch me. I've not yet offered the blood of the lamb, the blood of the sacrifice. This is the fulfillment, but Jesus did it in a place that wasn't made with hands. Where's that? Jesus did it in a place that's not in this realm. Where's that? It's in that eternal place, and it still stands there today. I mean, think about that. That's one of the things I want to do in heaven. I want to go find this ark and look at the blood of Jesus sprinkled from him having done this. I think it's literal. I think he did it. Verse 12, he did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially uh, unclean, sanctify them so they can be outwardly clean, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Again, this is one of those things where he could have just offered you righteousness. 
He could have just said, okay, when you die, you can come live with me. But the blood also cleanses our consciousness. It cleanses our hearts. It cleanses the way that we think. It cleanses the way that we feel about ourselves. It cleanses those dirty effects that we carry around in our thinking as a result of our actions. <clears throat> have you ever done that? You walk away from a conversation and you feel like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have talked about that person that way in front of that person. I wish I would have just kept my mouth shut there. You know, that, that conscience rises up. It may go deeper, you know, maybe a little uglier for us in some areas. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I, you know, whatever. That's that conscience. So because of our conscience, we'll beat ourselves up. Take that frying pan. Whack, whack. I, I've literally seen people in my house. <laughs> not my house now when, and growing up. Let me clarify. Bef this was before Sarah, <laughs> before kids. Uh, when, you know, I was in a bit of a different mindset back then. And this person got in a fight with their boyfriend and said some things that were just, everybody was like, oh my goodness, I'm not even sure what that means it's so bad, you know. And then we hear this boom, 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 and we're thinking, what in the world? So I go over, we go to the pantry, and she's standing there with the door from the pantry banging it into her head. I mean, literally beating herself up. Now, I, you know, I'm not saying that she did it because she felt bad because what? I mean, there's no telling what was going on there. But, I mean, we, we'll do that. That's, that's an like, outward extreme example, but we'll do that. We punish ourselves. Or we'll let other people continue to punish us because we think we deserve it. Because we're not fully convinced that God has forgiven us and that God is not condemning us, that translated into our lives here will allow us to stay in situations where we'll continue to let the world condemn us. We'll stay in death and poverty and sickness and all this stuff because we think we deserve it. We stay in those jobs that we hate because we think, well, there's nothing better for me. This is what I've done, and I'm just going to have to, I've made my bed, I'm going to have to lay in it. You know, this condemnation, this expectation of, I deserve this. Yeah, we do deserve it. But if you look into the spiritual reality of who you are, the debtedness has been removed from you. You don't owe anything. If you don't owe anything to God, you don't owe anything to anyone. but love, but faith. <clears throat> so we carry a sense of guilt and undeservedness and condemnation because really the real truth is we're not fully convinced that God has fully forgiven us. That's where the world is. It's why we stay in these marriages why we stay in these relationships. It's why we let people talk to us the way that we do. You know, it's not that you've got to rise up and fight that person. It's just you make a decision. No. No. I will not be accused. I will not 
stand for this. I'm not saying run out and get a divorce. You know, hear me. You deal with it properly. But the bigger issue is, do you feel a general sense of condemnation in certain areas of your life? Because with Christ, there's no condemnation. Why are you letting it linger around in your life? The reason we do is because we stay carnally minded and we continue in sin and we think we deserve it. I've got a scripture for that. You guys are ready for that one? This is Hebrews 9, verse 11. <clears throat> uh, actually, Hebrews 10, verse 26. Now, I think this will set you free. Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. All right, you you have to kind of play semantics on this verse. You have to really look at it and see what it is actually saying. You can't just look at it and take the religious perspective. We We have to break these words down and see what it is actually really is saying. So, number one, he's talking to Hebrews who were still thinking they were a little bit under the... I mean, you know, in this day and age, he's talking to people who you could look down the street and the temple is down there. You could still go make your sacrifice. So you had Christians that were believing the Pharisees who were saying, it's okay to have Jesus, but you still need to come down here and make your sacrifices. We still need to line our pockets. Uh-oh. So... Some Christians, innocently enough, thought, oh, well, okay, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I've got Jesus, but I've sinned, so I better go make the appropriate sacrifice. And Paul's saying, look, no, no. <laughs> Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. There is no more sacrifice for sin. This is not saying if you keep sinning, that means you're not saved, so you're going to hell. Like, that's, that's why do we... Like, when anytime we feel a sense of condemnation when we read the scripture, it's like we always go to that. Well, see there, I knew I was going to hell. <laughs> Says it right there. No, context, context, context. He's saying you can't go back down and offer sacrifices anymore. So if you continue in sin, the only thing that's left is this a fearful expectation of judgment. He's not saying the only thing that's left is if you keep sinning that God will judge you. I mean, we would have to throw out those other verses that we just read. So anytime you come across a passage like this that seems obscure, right? It seems to be saying if you keep sinning, you lose your salvation. You have to remember all those other verses. The handwriting of the ordinances was blotted out. The, indebt- the legal indebtedness against you has been removed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken the full punishment for your sin. Jesus has borne the full result of your sin. Jesus became your sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have to have all that in place 
when you read these kinds of passages or else you lose your mind and think this is about your salvation. And it's not. It's about how are you going to respond to sin? How are you going to take responsibility for this finished work that has happened within you? Are you going to remain in sin? Or are you going to trust that Jesus is sufficient and his grace within you is more powerful than the law could ever be and rise you up to the level of walking above even being tempted to sin? This phrase, the expectation of judgment, a fearful expectation of judgment. So if you, he's, what he's saying is if you keep sinning, you can't go down and keep making sacrifices. The only thing that's left for you is you think you're going to be judged. You feel like you're going to be judged because your conscience has been seared. Your conscience has been overwhelmed by your sin, by your actions of sin. Do you see the difference? So remember what the blood of Christ does? It cleanses your conscience from sin. Is it okay to sin? Let me ask that again. Is it okay to sin? No. Is God soft on sin? No. What does sin do? It kills. It produces death still to this day. But... God is not holding your sin against you. I mean, that's the very first thing that he describes the new covenant is going to be about. God's not holding your sin against you. Well, your sin, that means it's okay to sin. Well, if that's what you think, then I know what's in your heart. If you hear, God's not holding my sin against me, and you think you're saying that my sin is not an issue with God, then you're still legalistic in your thinking. It's still law-based for you rather than life or grace-based. Do you understand that? Because you'll go out and you'll preach this message and people will accuse you of saying, well, you're just soft on sin. They're just compromising over there. (laughs) Really? I think we're just believing the truth that God is not holding our sin against us. Like he says over and over. The law could never produce righteousness. Why do we think we still need to slip it in and people need it? All it does is reveal sin and show you, no, you cannot do this on your own. So the condemnation that we walk in, the reason we still sin is because we look to alternatives than the Spirit of Christ within us to meet our needs. It's not because you still have some sort of sin nature within you. You've been changed. You've been made the righteousness of God. The reason we still choose sin, and again, sin is just against God's best, is because we're not convinced that Jesus, in some form or fashion, is what we need for every situation. Yes, but I want a husband. Okay. Well, Jesus will lead you and guide you into all truth. He is your wisdom of how you should behave and follow him to be in the position where he can get you to somebody that's going to work for you. Do you understand that? It's like Because I've, I've had that conversation with people, and it's, 
Yeah, I don't understand. Jesus is everything to me, but I want a, I want a man. <laughs> and then, 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 then it gets like really spiritual, mystical. Jesus is just going to be my husband. I understand that. I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of that. That's, that's sweet. But, you know, he made man and woman to be together with lots of benefits. <laughs> Don't feel bad for desiring a relationship. Just trust him to lead you into one. Trust that Jesus is the wisdom, the righteousness, the, the, the peace that you need to be able to handle that relationship. Amen? So, I was talking to Vicki about this, and it, it kind of just fit in with where we were going in this series. You know, in her ministry, she deals with things where people are, uh, you know, tormented sometimes by spirits that linger around, and that happens. They're there. Those things are real. It's your choice whether or not you're going to entertain them and let them attach themselves to your fallen mindsets. You know, do you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is a lie in your thinking. And a demon can attach itself and reinforce the stronghold by continually lying to you, and even to the degree where you start thinking, this is my own voice. These are my own thoughts. I'm so convinced of this lie that even a demon speaking to me sounds like me because I'm fully convinced of it. That's how they reinforce the stronghold. You tear down the stronghold by changing the way that you think. And you might have to kick that little rascal out in the meantime. That one's just, that's a, that one's free charge, so. <laughs> but she was saying that for, in her ministry, it, it's like this foreboding thing. Pe- people are, you know, when, when's the hammer going to drop? When's it going to go bad? It can't be this good always. Something bad's about to happen. This is the direct result of condemnation, the direct result of your fearful expectation of judgment. And to the deepest core, it's because we're not convinced that we're forgiven and redeemed and made righteous, that we'll even entertain any any aspect of condemnation. It's not that sin is okay and that, that when you sin, you shouldn't feel bad about it. That's silly. That's going to be the result of it, but that's the carnal aspect of it. The higher... Form the kingdom way is, even if I continue in sin, I've got an advocate with the Father. I've got Jesus who has made me righteous. Yes, I might have a serious mess to clean up down here. I may need to go repent to as many people as I've ever spoken to in my entire life. Or whatever it's like, you know, you distinguish the two. This is what's true. I'm going to set my mind here and deal with the truth, even though I've still got this shipwreck behind me that I've got to deal with, but I will not deal with it with a sense of condemnation. I will not deal with it with a sense of guilt. Hopefully in that, it starts with I'm going to connect to grace and be empowered to rise above this behavior so that I can deal with this stuff properly. But don't, and don't raise your hand. But how many of you feel that sense of you know, it's like it goes really good. Even hearing these kinds of messages. Yeah, but, you know, the Antichrist is coming. 
or yeah, but you know, my nothing, everything in my house has been working for like a month now. Something's got to happen. Uh, yes. Oh man, my car has been running so good. It's just bound to happen. Something's going to break down. When it rains, it pours. I tell you what, for me, when the first drop hits, I stand up and say, no. I, we all do it. We all do it. I have had those senses of like, you know, you wake up and you stub your toe and you're getting out. Oh, it's going to be that kind of day. <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to start. It's No, it's not going to be that kind of day. This is going to be a good day. The bad stuff's done. It's already done. I've gotten it out of the way. It's over. It's going to be good from here forward. It's that, it's that waiting, that expectation of judgment, that, expect, that condemnation, which interestingly enough, the word condemnation means expectation of judgment. That's the only thing that's left. If you continue in sin, is condemnation. You expect to be judged. But it's not like we're sitting there thinking that we're in the heavenly court waiting for the gavel to drop. We think it's going to come through those things, through our lives. You know? Have you, have you, did you ever transition through the process? Maybe you're hearing these optimistic, positive messages, and it's like, okay, yeah, but there's something, there's still, I still need to find something bad about this. But God is still mad. God is still, oh, I tell you what, God's going to judge the whole world. There it is. Well, he already did that in Jesus. I don't know what you are expecting the future to be like, but I'm expecting the church to become more powerful, his kingdom to increase, and to see the fullness of his work grow. I I don't care what the best-selling author says. I don't care what the logical progression of pulling all the news headlines and the blood moons and some Jewish guy that knows how to read feasts and apply that somehow to today. You know what? All that numerology stuff can be applied in multiple facets. I just take all that stuff, crumble it up, and throw it in the garbage. Because to the increase of his kingdom there shall be no end. You're living in denial. You're not preparing. You know what? I am prepared. I got the Spirit of God living within me. And He will lead me and guide me into all truth. Honestly, that's my preparation. If God tells me to store up some food, I'll do that. He hasn't done that yet. Do you hear me? Yes. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind, set your heart on what's above. That doesn't mean that you're trying to look into the heavens and have a vision. It's talking about how does it work in the eternal dimension? 
What's true in that eternal dimension? That's what I'm going to let be, let be in my mind and heart. Do you see that? It's not a denial of this life. It's not living in la-la land and just thinking, well, it's all good, I'm under grace and nothing matters. No, your behavior absolutely matters. It doesn't change God's opinion of you, but it certainly will change your opinion of you and what you think God's opinion of you is and definitely the world around you's opinion of you. And they have some. <laughs> but here's where we are, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Are, are, are you keeping, keeping up there? Am I going too fast? 2 Corinthians 1.20. We got Philip on there now, and he's learning the system. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So the promise is yes. Do you know what amen means? Yeah, it means like the the Hebrew concept is you're laying bricks. Something is being built. Something is being established. So the amen, the establishment of his promises are spoken by you. No matter how many promises are made, they're yes and yes in Christ. So through him... The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Your mouth matters. Your life holds, your tongue holds the power of life and death. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What that's actually saying is whether it's life or death, your tongue will eat the fruit that you love. What does your tongue love to speak, life or death? Because either way, you're going to eat that fruit. But the amen of God's promises is spoken by us so that he would be glorified. And if all his promises are yes, then how about this one? Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Remember, all the promises are yes. In another place, it says, no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes for you. I'm going to pick this one. This is what the Lord says when the 70, this is Hebrews, uh, Jeremiah 29, 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So this was a promise, no matter how many promises, to whoever, they're yes for us in Christ. Here it is. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Have you ever heard that preached? God's harming me. God's allowing me to be harmed. That's not in his plan. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You feel like your future is uncertain or dark. or God's got a plan for that, and it's good. God has good plans. And it doesn't include you being harmed by him in the process. But this promise is spoken into establishment by you that God will be glorified. Are you convinced in your heart that you are forgiven, that God is not condemning you, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law 
for righteousness. That he was condemned so that you can be set free. Everything in Jesus is an exchange. He became the scapegoat. He was the lamb that all the sin of the world was put on and removed from people. And then that blood shed as an offering, sin offering, so that righteousness could be given to those who receive it by faith. And then he seals you with that spirit, gives you eternal life. Man, I'm telling you, I will preach that every week that these doors open. Whether you get tired of hearing it or not, I'm going to add it in my message. It's just going to happen. Because we have to see ourselves that way. This is who I am. This is the context of my relationship with God. Now, let's deal with the rest of this stuff. Amen. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to the death of the cross. We thank you for remaining faithful so that we could be forgiven, so that there is no condemnation for us because we're in you. Thank you, Lord. We repent from carrying around that guilt. We change our minds from carrying around that expectation that you're angry with us.